0: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Behind the Mic, a vent music podcast series hosted by me as always, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We discuss their musical journeys, their artistry and most importantly, the person behind the mic. The Essex music scene is one that has got a bunch of amazing artists doing their thing. I'm shining a light on it for this week's show with my special guest, Droz. Droz, or Sam as he is known to his mates, is a solo artist and we share a mutual connection in big friends of the pod, Rayowa. Droz used to be in another great Essex band called Beach for Tiger and is now putting his own mark on the scene with some dreamy and groovy disco vibes. In this Behind the Mic episode, we talk all about Sam's musical journey, performing gigs from the age of 13, big stage mishaps, vulnerability and self-acceptance. We also discuss fear of missing out and a condition known as Wolf parkinson white Syndrome which almost took over Sam's life before he overcame it through successful surgery. Get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go Behind the Mic with Droz. <laughs> Sam, welcome to Behind the Mic, mate. Thanks so much for coming on and letting me go behind the mic with you. I know this is going to be a good pod because our chat off air was basically one big music nerd chat and conversation. First off, how are you, bro? And
1: how are you coping with everything right now? I'm good, thanks, man. Um, Thank you very much for having me, by the way. It's, um, It's very kind of you. Yeah, I'm good at the moment. I mean, I think the last time that we spoke, I was feeling like everything was going a little bit slow at the time. I think, you know, the third lockdown had definitely brought people crashing down a little bit in certain cases but i'm now (laughs) now that we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel i guess i'm sort of getting a bit more content with the situation at the moment i'm a little bit more comfortable with it so yeah i'm okay at the moment i'm okay
0: sick man and before we dive into the music journey your debut single drinks has been out for a while now and you just released your second single la la land at the end of the week just gone at time of recording what has been the feedback to both
1: Honestly, honestly, it's been absolutely amazing so far, and I, I can't thank everybody enough for the reaction to it. It's my first time releasing music on my own, so like, it was a little bit scary, but to get the reaction that I've had and the love that I've had has been absolutely unbelievable, and so I thank everyone for that. Sick, man. We've got that out of the way. Let's crack on with the show.
0: Let's start behind the mic, as we always do, by talking about your music journey, Sam. So, Tell me and the listeners about how your love affair with music started, who were some of the artists you listened to growing up, what impact did they have on your mental health and when did you first start singing or playing instruments?
1: The first times I started really becoming aware of music and started listening to music was in the car with my family, driving to various campsites and things like that, whether that be in France, you know, if it was a particularly lavish holiday be a drive to france if it was not it was cornwall or devon and things like that so like we listened to a lot of motown music so marvin jackson five Aretha franklin and then like probably the first album that sticks out to me properly is a bridge over troubled water by simon and garfunkel that album was on repeat and repeat and repeat and it was just a really really special album for me and still to this day i'd probably put it in my top 10 maybe even top five albums ever made same with what's going on by Marvin Gaye first time playing music and singing things like my brother he had a Squire Stratocaster that um, was downstairs that you know it was the same color as John Fashanti from Red Hot Chili Peppers guitar so like I remember seeing that and I remember by the way it just come out I think at the time and I picked up his guitar and I picked it up upside down and he was like, what the hell are you doing kind of thing? I was like, oh, I'm just playing playing guitar and stuff. I spent ages playing his guitar upside down, basically. It basically turned into my guitar for a couple of months until my parents got me a new one. And it built from there. I was only about, I don't know, seven or eight or something like that. Singing came a little bit later. Probably I was about 13, maybe 12. I don't think I properly had actually sang at all until like I was actually in front of people having to sing basically so it's a little bit mind-blowing when that actually happened and uh had mixed reviews at the start definitely had mixed reviews at the start but you know that happens it got a little bit better we're still improving for sure and when it comes to your stage name sam how did droz come
0: about i understand it hasn't got a particularly deep story behind it but at the same time it is quite personal to you does that give you a good sort of baseline of authenticity do you think
1: yeah, when I played football as a kid, I was one of five Sams in the team. Whenever anybody called for the ball, they used their second name and stuff like that. So I started out as Drury, which is my second name. Then uh, as time went on, it developed into Droz, thanks to my mate Mikey. who I'm going to have to call out for that. Cheers, bro. I appreciate it because I hated the name. I hated it as a name. I would much rather be called Drury or Sam or something like that. I'd much rather that. But um, he persisted with calling me Droz to a point where all of my mates called me Droz. It's just become my identity now. I can't shake it. I can't remove it. I think as a result, of that you're probably right i probably do have this base level maybe i don't know about base level authenticity but there's a character withdraws that maybe is slightly separate from sam as a person but he's still it's a turned up version of me it is me completely but um it's maybe just you know accenting everything about me basically i feel like i can show myself completely withdraws rather than maybe the more reserved version of me that is sam the bloke who writes songs in his bedroom And how would you
0: describe the Droz sound for those who haven't heard you before, Sam?
1: I'd say that it's a kind of a cross with Japanese city pop, with disco and indie pop. So you're kind of mixing the sounds that I listen to a lot in the noughties. So, you know, there's going to be bands like Hard Fight, Orson, Jamiroquai, these kinds of bands that were around at the time, even like Junior, Senior and people like that. And then you're mixing it with maybe older disco kinds of sounds. So you've got that heritage sound in there. I like it as a cross. It may seem a little bit confusing to describe to people at times, but I think it works. I love the mention of
0: Hardfire there because it was uh, the third album I ever bought as a child. I understand you gave Droz a go, mate, because lockdown itself and the isolation it created in you was a big reason for that. It's early on, but how proud are you that you were able to create this positive project which came from a negative period of your mental health and how does this project help you
1: just with your productivity itself? I'm really proud of it as a project because like you say it was during a time where you know not many people knew what to do in their lives. I was a lot like them you know you wake up in the morning your commute takes three seconds because it's bed to desk and that's your life at the time and so (laughs) I needed another outlet. I hadn't done anything in music for probably about maybe two years, maybe 18 months or so. It just gave me this whole new lease of life. And it was an opportunity for me to tell stories, to be honest with people, talk about how I was feeling. And at the time, I wasn't planning on releasing any of it. I wasn't planning on really doing anything. I was just playing on making songs in my bedroom and just having fun with it. It didn't matter if they were good or not. It just mattered that I had some fun with it. And then I ended up showing my mates and some of them stupidly told me that it was actually all right. And then I got arrogant and released it before Droz you
0: were part of a long-running and great kind of psychedelic band called Beach for Tiger and you were in that for the best part of 10 years if I'm right in saying so we have to talk about your journey here before Droz how did you come to be in the band and what was your role in it I understand you were quite happy to stay out of the spotlight in the band and do a lot of the writing was there a particular reason for that
1: yeah Beach for Tiger came about when we were really really young I'd been playing guitar and things like one of my best mates Pete we've been playing guitar together and things like that throughout like junior school and things like that and then into secondary school we played music a couple of times together and things and then um he called me and asked if I wanted to play in this like battle of the bands thing at school and i was like yeah sure don't know <laughs> kind of thing we just basically just kept on playing shows and we just kept on learning and learning and learning and like we built up and built up to a point where you know people started to know who we were in our local area then people started to know who we were around areas of london and things like that and it was just like an amazing learning process for everyone involved like i mean those guys are still going now and they're absolutely incredible i recommend everybody's go and listen to beach for tiger because they're an amazing band i'm not saying that just because i was in it because they're actually better now i'm not in it to be honest and like we learned a lot we learned a lot and we kind of learned in public as well which was kind of good which we'll probably get to later on in terms of like how it's developed me further I wouldn't have known how to write songs the way that I write songs I wouldn't have known how to deal with people and how to deal with the pressure of shows and things like that without doing Beach of Tiger because you know we were playing shows in the middle of London when we were 14, 13 we were extremely young doing what we were doing if I hadn't had that experience I wouldn't be what I am today as a person or as a musician it's extremely important to me and it was the best time of my life i always get my artists on behind the mic sams talk about one bad
0: set or performance in their life and most importantly so we can normalize making mistakes for our listeners what they learned from it and what they learned from failure is there one or even two stories you feel comfortable sharing because i understand there was one particular set you did for the schools out
1: event series that's worth sharing for a whole load of reasons oh yeah that was good wasn't it i can't remember how we it was very very early in terms of playing music together and things like that. We were supposed to play a show at this local community hall called Hannekin's Farm in Billericay. We were all getting ready to play. We were basically going to play that same set that we played at that Battle of the Bands that I'd mentioned earlier. And everything was basically going to be fine. And then uh, the day of the show, the singer of our band decided he was leaving. And we were like, oh no, what are we going to do, man? Kind of thing. Like, everyone's freaking out. It was like the end of the world for some reason. Like in your mind, you think it's like it's so important that you know the, like, the show goes on regardless, kind of thing. And uh, lesson for everyone: first of all, you don't always need to play the show. It, don't take every show. You don't always need to play it. So we took the day off school. We tried to build this new set with some other random new singer, and um, got to the show. And we thought we're going to be all right after like two hours of rehearsal, kind of thing. Then the lights go down smoke plumes all over the stage and stuff and you know there's like i don't know maybe a 100 people maximum they're all like kids that we go to school with and stuff and you cannot hear anything on this stage it's one of the most bellowy reverby stages i've ever played on normally like you've got like a little bit of crispness so you can hear the drums or you can hear the bass you can hear the guitar maybe you can hear vocal and stuff like that sometimes on this we couldn't hear anything it's just a wash we just weren't prepared for it we did not know what to do we didn't know what hit us basically we started playing a song roughly a minute and a half in just completely stopped on stage in front of all of these people everyone's looking at us one kid clapped at the back because they didn't know what the hell was going on we're all just kind of oh god i don't think we even bothered to like play that song again or anything like that like it's not like when kanye west goes on tour and like he messes something up so he just plays the same song over and over again we're not cool enough to do that we just have to sort of just like deal with the pain and just go with the next one i just wanted the ground to swallow me up after that moment. After that happened, I remember walking out and just being like, oh no, this is, I can't show my face at school. Everyone's going to laugh. And it's like, you know what? It never got mentioned. It never got mentioned ever again. And the fact is that, you know, you're still getting up on a stage. You're still doing something that you really enjoy. You're still learning. Every single experience, like you are learning when you're playing shows and things like that, that's invaluable experience. But I will say that you don't have to take every show. If a show is going to be a really, really like you know that the show is just going to end up being bad because you're underprepared. That's different. But if you do end up having a bad experience just for some freak reason, that's just a learning opportunity. That's not a problem. And believe me, I've had loads of them, <laughs> loads and loads of them, especially early on when you're in spaces where maybe you know people think that you're too young to be in the venue and things like that, and they're looking at you just like oh, it's this kid kind of thing. You know, like that's fine. Just use it. Just use it. And like it's all an opportunity to learn learning to deal with bad sets is one thing sam learning how to deal with bad
0: reviews and nasty comments is an altogether different beast now there was one show you mentioned to me off air which is at one of my favorite london venues the garage where one particular reviewer wasn't too nice about you was he tell me more about that and how you felt reading his comments
1: yeah i think we opened up for a rock sound tour or something like that. we won like a facebook competition or something we were playing the garage, downstairs to the garage. So it like an 800-cap venue or something like that. It's a huge venue, especially for us at the time, because we were very, very young. You know, we're playing with some great bands, like at the time, Dinosaur Pile Up, The Exerts, Japanese Voyeurs. These were good bands at the time, really big bands. They deserved to be there, basically. We were just quite happy to be there, and we felt quite lucky and stuff. We just, We enjoyed the show and stuff. We were competition winners. But you're a competition winner, sure. But the reviewer doesn't look at you like that. The reviewer looks at you as being this fully complete band that deserves to be on the bill he just didn't see the vision i guess he just didn't see the vision at all because he called us a a confusing cross between En shikari and Jaran Duran. which is um you know that's offensive uh <laughs> to say the least you know um i thought it was rude but you know it's his opinion we were only kids and we probably were bad we probably didn't do very well but once again it's just a learning experience and i don't put too much stock in negative things that people say or positive things that people say nowadays to be honest it's always really really nice to get positive comments and things like that but if you're just going to live completely through the positive comments i expect you to have that same energy when the negative comments come through so you know if you're not going to do that just don't worry about it either way just focus on improving and focus on making songs that you like and um, that will get you way further i think Before we move on to the next part of this topic, Sam,
0: what did the journey in Beach for Tiger teach you about yourself? And what did your bandmates teach
1: you too? They taught me that I don't like traveling very much. That's for sure. I'm a bit angsty when it comes to to going on tour, it turns out. Beach for Tiger as a whole taught me about the process that I love most about music, which is making songs. Making songs is the best thing in the world to me you know that it, you can play shows you can do the photo shoots you can do the press you can do all of that stuff I'm not too bothered about it to be honest it doesn't excite me anything like the way it feels when you get all of your mates in a room and you're just crowding over a laptop and you're just hearing this 16 bars of a beat that you've made and you're all just completely in that moment you know like when you see videos of like Jay-Z making dirt on your shoulder or something like that you know like When you hear songs like that and you see like 16 people in a studio going absolutely crazy and bouncing and stuff like that, those kinds of feelings are, um, there's nothing like it. When you feel like you're making something that's really, really special or really, really fun to you and you've just got all your mates together and you're just making music because it feels right. You can't touch that. That's the best thing in the world. That's my favourite thing that I've taken away from Beach Tiger and that's why as time went on I became a a little bit separated from it because you know I wasn't able to write that style of music anymore it was was psychedelia it was psych pop I was leaning to more more of a not necessarily commercial pop sort of sound but maybe a little bit more of a conventional kind of sound and I wanted to be able to enjoy that process again because I wasn't feeling like I could enjoy that process because I didn't feel like I was offering as much now I've got that feeling back for sure. I've definitely got that feeling back and I'm doing it with those guys that I was in that band with, you know, Pete, who I mentioned earlier, all of the songs he's been involved in the mixing and the production on. And, you know, we work directly with each other basically daily on these songs. And, you know, it feels like, you know, they're just as much his baby as mine. That's really special to me.
0: Most of the time, mate, music scenes are largely supportive environments for artists' mental health and can provide a great peer network and community to share experiences, either through songwriting, like you said, or just having people to chat with. For you, Sam, whilst the music scene you found in Nottingham at university symbolised this perfectly, the London one you returned to wasn't as much. Tell me why that
1: was. I think it's very difficult when you're in a city that has so many moving parts it's got so many different music scenes within it in various different areas it's very difficult to create a community in quite the same way especially you know like cities like london or in america like los angeles they're places that people come to for something i think i'm not going to pretend like i'm not one of those people as well we all go to these places because you know they're a place that's got opportunity there and in music that's exactly the same You think there's going to be the best scouts, there's going to be the best venues, there's going to be the best promoters, the best bands are going to be there, and that's what it is. There's a competition that comes with that, whereas when you look at somewhere like Nottingham, it's got a much smaller community. There's a good amount of venues, like, I mean, they have some great, great places there. They have some great festivals, like they have Hockley Hustle, which is kind of like their Camden Crawl kind of thing, that, you know, basically everywhere opens up into a venue, little cafes. Bars, shops, everywhere just opens up and you know, you've got all of these great talented bands, but they're all going to see each other. They'll all like journey to go and see each other at whatever time their set is. Regardless of whether they're label mates, regardless of if they went to school together, regardless of if they've just like seen each other in a bar or something like that playing their show, like they're all gonna go and see each other. I think it's just a little bit more difficult to do that in London because it's a little bit of a wide, it's a larger community, I think. And um the community's so spread out. But for sure, within um the group that I've been lucky to find myself in over the past, you know, six to seven years. It's amazing. It's really amazing the group that I found myself within with, you know, Beach for Tiger, with Rayowa, with a band that was then called Smooth Ends. Now, you know, there's ABC Dialect, Love A Ground. These are really, really great, talented people. Most of them, are, well, all of them are more talented than me, to be honest, you know, <laughs> but I'm very, very thankful to be with them. Without them, you need your mates there because otherwise you can't navigate waters like these.
0: When we spoke off air, mate, we talked a lot about this idea of success FOMO in the industry and music scenes you've been a part of. How big a problem do you think it is and how does it affect artists across different aspects of their musical lives? And if so, in what ways?
1: I do think it's tough. And I think it's something that I think everyone goes through at some point or whether it's on like a large scale. You look at someone like, I mean, last week, who I just mentioned, Kevin, who's called Loverground, his last single, Be Patient, came out on Majestic Casual Records. Congratulations to him, man. You're awesome it's absolutely flown it's been incredible like the reaction's been absolutely incredible and he's getting thousands upon thousands of monthly listeners on spotify you see those numbers and you're like i want that but you you may not necessarily get it you may not necessarily get it and like i think i've learned now that that's cool that's all right when i was a little bit younger and things like that you know you're not jealous of them never mistaken for jealousy but it's just you know feeling like i want to be on that level and i want to grow to that level there's a bit of us that does it so that we can get to that level so we can make it a job Sometimes people put a bit too much stock in that. I think people give it too much power. It then starts to affect the authenticity of the music itself. Just because you've seen your mate go and do really well with this type of sound or where he's talking about these types of things, where his vocal sounds like this, stuff like that. Or, you know, you like Dua Lipa or somebody like that. I mean, she had one of the best albums of last year. It was an amazing album. You're never going to sound like Dua Lipa, I'm sorry. If you want to try and replicate that kind of sound, it's not going to do the same thing. It's not going to do the same thing and you know people start to kind of change their sounds or they start to try and change what they are as a person because they think that that's what's going to bring them success because they're fearing not achieving that that's something that you know you just i think over time you learn not to worry about because um if you do worry about it then you're never going to be satisfied whatsoever because you're always because you're going to get to a certain level then there's going to be someone bigger and then you're going to be dissatisfied with the fact that you're not as big as that next person just enjoy it, man, because you're doing, you're in a very privileged position. If you're able to make music and people actually like it, like, Jesus, there's not many... <laughs> when you actually look in the grand scheme of things, there's not many people who do that. So, like, just enjoy it, man. It's all good.
0: You made a really important point there about authenticity, Sam, which I imagine is quite
1: difficult to
0: express or show in the music industry, especially when artists gain a bit of success or influence and they maybe lose what they were before equally you also have to show vulnerability as an artist a lot of the time one amazing quote you said to me off air was this i'm me i'm a little chubby man from essex and i want to tell stories expand on that for me and how does it shape
1: your attitude towards life and music you had to put that in you had to put that in i think something that we discussed previously was this idea of maybe having to show yourself to be an extrovert and things like that and you're having to act as that kind of character when that's not actually you and yourself because you feel like that's what's going to actually gain you exposure and gain you notoriety and things like that and that's what the people want kind of thing none of this is true (laughs) it's the reality the point isn't being seen to be fun and being seen to be extrovert especially nowadays like i mean i know that you know you're seeing things like little woozy vert going and getting that crazy sapphire in the middle of his head and stuff and you're seeing artists that are doing very very extreme things on social media in terms of the imagery that they're evoking and stuff and like cool if that's your personality or if that's how you want to be perceived that's fine But it's not necessary. You can just be honest with people and tell people that you had a bit of a bad day. Or you can just be honest with people and tell them that, you know, this is how I'm feeling. I'm very thankful. Here's a picture of my face. Like, (laughs) you know, these things are fine. These things are fine. Like, you know, you can be honest with people. If you're just completely open with them about who you are, regardless of whether you are an extrovert, regardless of whether you're an introvert, regardless of whether you're particularly confident, when you're forward facing with people it doesn't matter you're showing yourself and that's always the most important thing when it comes to music because you're telling stories about yourself most of the time or you're telling stories about things that you care about if people don't believe the person that's telling them these stories they're never going to connect with you so that's the most important thing people have to believe you that's what i've tried to do i hope that it's, it's worked in some way. There's probably a sort of a sense of maybe there is actually from myself a sense of forced, not necessarily vulnerability, but maybe I'm forcing something just to sort of get it across to people at the moment, maybe. And that's something I've maybe got to look at in the future. But it's all about being honest with people and telling stories. And I am a chubby man from Essex who tells stories. And that's what I am.
0: What does the stage provide for you and your mental health, Sam?
1: Before I go on stage... I feel very anxious before going on a stage. I used to um, really struggle with the periods before you actually hit the stage, and you know you're watching the band that's before you, and they're like they're having a good show and stuff, and they sound good, they're getting a good reaction and stuff, and you're getting worried that you know maybe people aren't going to react to you that same way. All of those things go round and round in your head. I try to get kind of tunnel visioned and not even think about it, just think about what's the show. What are we are going to do at this moment? What are we are going to do at this moment? I sort of, I kind of look like, <laughs> I kind of look like a really tunnel vision football player when they're in the tunnel going out to the pitch. I kind of look a bit like that. I, I'm probably not very fun to be around, to be honest. But then the moment that you actually walk on stage, it doesn't matter if there's 10 people, if there's 400, 500 people, if you're lucky to play in front of that many people, you know, it doesn't matter. Everything just disappears for me. I just completely enjoy it. It's the anxiety before the show that is the problem for me. It's never actually on the stage that I ever find too much of a problem. You know, I walk on, got my little bit of beer, I strum my guitar and I'm good. I'm happy. It's a good feeling, but for me, it's not the best part of doing music. It's not the best part of doing music. For me, it's still being in the studio, making music. That is the best thing about it. But for sure, for many people, being out on stage and playing shows is an awesome thing, but it's not the most important thing for me which sounds weird to say. One quote I wrote down from when we chatted off air was when
0: you said, the great thing about music is how it can help display how I feel at a particular point in time, which is then captured as a memory. Does music help you articulate how you feel in a way you may perhaps might not otherwise be able to?
1: Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but I waffle sometimes. So like it's a time capsule. It's really great at basically showing people exactly how you're feeling at that moment and there's other forms of art that you can do that with like with painting and with photography and things like you can do it it doesn't hit you in as many places as music can music can tell you everything about a person in one song in two and two and a half minutes you know everything that you need to know about that person that's something that you can't achieve in any other way i find it to be a really, really helpful way of just kind of purging me of anything that, you know, I'm feeling at that point in time. You know, Draws, for the most part, has been about sort of making happy music, about music that people want to escape with. And talking about, you know, going out with your mates before lockdown happened. You're talking about, you know, a dream world that doesn't actually exist, but everything's perfect and things, you know. I'm talking about escapism most of the time. It's me just sort of just going into a happy place almost. And that's what music is for me. It's just this opportunity to sort of just create whatever world i want it to be because i can't actually physically do that but i can do that in my own mind and that's the wonderful thing about it you can find out everything you need to know about a person but that person themselves they can make whatever they want that's the great thing about it one thing we try and break down a lot on behind the mic sam are the myths people have about the music
0: industry and expose the realities for everyday bands and artists especially those with mental health implications that fans or even friends and family might not see Tell the listeners about some of the examples you've experienced and how they've impacted your mental health.
1: I think that there's definitely a thing that when people see numbers that you're getting, people think that you've got a certain amount of clout or a certain amount of money that you've earned. Like, I mean, if you look at the first single that Beach the Tiger ever released, it's done about half a million now, which is absolutely amazing. Like, even still, even though I'm not in that band anymore, I'm extremely proud of it. But like, the reality is that for anybody who wants to get into music... Half a million plays doesn't earn you that much money. That's reality. It doesn't earn you that much money. You go on tour and things like that. And you're like outward facing. Everyone thinks that what you're doing is this really cool thing that is you're traveling up and down the country. Venues are sold out and stuff like that because the videos that you put out make it look like that. And, you know, the fact that you've got your merch stand and shit. Everyone thinks that that's awesome and stuff. But actually, you know, it's like eight guys in a van that are like traveling constantly. And you're pretty stuck in there. You haven't got very much money. And stuff like that and like that's difficult i think that is difficult and it's something that i definitely struggled with travel with it all definitely affected me because um i'm a bit of a home bird i guess i like my comforts and things and when i was at university i spent a lot of time basically traveling between nottingham and london to go to rehearsals or to play shows and things like that because we smashed london in our first couple of years and i was still at university up up in the midlands so like i was going up and down every week basically to go and play shows and things. And I was missing lectures and stuff like that because of it. Sorry, mum and dad. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff that probably was detrimental to my studies and my future and stuff like that. That plays on your mind at times. You sometimes may feel guilty for what you're doing. So you've got to kind of make the decision, like, are you just going to go for it? Or are you going to sort of just compartmentalize this and you're going to manage it and things like that and that's I think that's difficult to do I think it's difficult for people to actually do and so like you've got to deal with you know the outside perception that people have of you and then you've actually got to deal with you know like how am I actually going to make this something that I can enjoy and how am I going to make this something that doesn't become a job when it's just creativity how am I supposed to grow it further and stuff and how am I going to be satisfied with it and stuff there's so many things that you've got to manage within it especially when an act in its infancy I've been lucky with Droz because, you know, I've basically been able to write these songs from my bedroom at my parents' house. You know, I moved back here from London during lockdown and I've been able to sort of remotely promote it as well. You know, I barely left my hometown for about six months and I've been able to basically just completely promote this entire thing. and been able to run this entire thing and now here I am. There's a lot of things that you've got to kind of battle through in your own mind, as well as dealing with the outside perception of it all. Because, you know, it returns back to that idea of how do you yourself want to be perceived? And extrovertedness to introvertedness, all of these kinds of ideas come to a head because, you know, you've got to make it appear like you're successful. And you've got to make it appear like what you're doing is actually effective and things like that. And that, you know, you're traveling everywhere because it's cool to do the travel and stuff like that because you're going to different venues and stuff and everywhere is sold out and you're selling merch everywhere and like getting loads of plays everywhere and stuff. And like, you've got to do that. But like the actual impact that that has on you is just complete burnout. Because, you know, whether you're doing your degree... Or whether you're doing a job where you work long hours, and then you've got to go to a rehearsal studio where you're you're in there until one a.m. in the morning at times and stuff, and then you've got to go and do a show. You've got to load out everything out of that studio spot that you're that you're rehearsing in. And you've got to get it over there. You've got to get it in that venue. And then you've got to get it straight back. And then you've got to still be up the next morning so that you can go to work at seven, eight a.m. or whatever it is that's tough for people to do and this is why you know when people get a little bit older they start just thinking to themselves i'm just gonna go and play in pubs and do covers and stuff because like it's fun still when you're able to do it that way it's not as fun if you've got the pressures of real life bearing down on you i think that's the hardest thing i think for people to handle you know being able to balance real life with this because you know this is a full-time job in itself if you really want to go for it and just finally what plans do you have for draws going forward and maybe could you give
0: us a vent exclusive
1: we have an ep coming out in something like june kind of time i wish i could give you a vent exclusive to be honest man i don't think i can at the moment i've got to keep things quite close to my chest i'm very very sorry i'm just going to keep that keep that right there but yeah we have an ep coming out in june the next single will be out in roughly april kind of time and i really hope you like it it's basically more of the same just me talking about a fake world that doesn't exist it's class <laughs> We've talked all about Drosmate and Beach with Tiger.
0: Let's go behind the mic and talk about your own journey, Sam. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Walk me through your early life in Essex, childhood, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences during this time you can pinpoint? Who's the Sam we meet here?
1: Uh, I was quite lucky, to be honest, during my young life. I didn't really struggle with mental health, to be honest. I've been very, very lucky. I don't think I had a very, very happy family life. I had a pretty happy school life basically had the same mate since i was three in certain cases i'm still pretty good I, I think you know in terms of maybe what you could call things that found me struggling with my mental health maybe that kind of came when i was towards adulthood when i was about 18 because of certain medical things that happened and things like that and you know i had to defer university which we'll probably get onto later i would say throughout my young life though i was very very lucky to be honest
0: like you said, you don't live with a mental health condition and your life right up till around the end of sixth one was fairly happy knowing all the mates you've had until, since you were three. Same for me pretty much growing up in North London. However, one month before you were due to go to university on a typical night out with your mates down the pub, you started to feel a bit strange and it was the start of a really difficult and turbulent period of your life. Can you tell the listeners about that night and why it led to such difficulty for you and your mental health, Sam? I'm
1: going to have to dig out one of my mates over this i had a feeling under my ribs kind of thing a feeling of breathlessness my heart rate started really racing and things like that i didn't really know what to do and stuff and i remember running over to one of my mates i'm not actually going to name him because sorry bro I, i'm not going to do that to you but um, i said to him, oh man i feel really really weird and he was like oh just get another beer and like, i was like oh all right cool kind of thing i went over to the bar and i asked them for a beer and just a huge glass of water with some ice in i didn't realize that that was actually the best thing that i could have done so i absolutely just down the beard down the water and i went to the toilet and i collapsed in a toilet cubicle for about an hour or so maybe a little bit less i'm not really too sure i woke up i felt kind of weird felt all right though sort of just a bit drunk and just went oh that was weird kind of then just walked back out my mates were just were like where have you been i was like toilet (laughs) kind of thing and they were like well we're going to the next pub just and that that was it i didn't think about it i didn't think about it at all and um i don't think i mentioned it to my parents or anything like that and then uh it happened again i started getting that feeling my heart started racing i started feeling a little bit of pain under my ribs again and stuff and that happened and happened and then it happened like two or three nights running so we went to a doctor about it and they told me that i had this condition called wolf parkinson white syndrome which is a form of atrial fibrillation where basically, as far as I understand it, you're born with uh, things called a node in your heart that's basically a thing that sends like the electrical messages around your body and things like that and just keeps things running and stuff, keeps your heart beating kind of thing. I was born with two of them, which basically means that they can sort of trip out of sync. You're liable to have palpitation attacks, which is what I was having. And in the extreme, you can have just basically just heart attacks just out of nowhere. Thankfully, I didn't experience any of this. Thankfully, I didn't have to deal with it for an incredibly long time because it remains dormant basically with you until you're roughly 18. So they say. So, you know, I had the problem in August, September when I was 18. I just turned 18. I probably was had the surgery to remove it, to ablate it. When I was, a, you know, probably about three months later or so. I didn't have a long, long period. This is why I say that, you know, I've not had too much difficulty with mental health, thankfully. But that period was an extremely scary time in my life. As a result of the condition, I had to defer my place at university. I was really excited to go to university and start a new, a next step in my life and things. You know, you see all of your mates going and stuff. You want to do that. I couldn't drink. I'm 18. You're not allowed to drink. What the fuck? You're not allowed to have fun with your mates and stuff, you know. That's a really weird thing. definitely difficult thankfully i was able to get through it and move through it and things and like to this day since the surgery i've never had a problem i've never had a problem since and i'm very very thankful for that so cheers to everyone at the uh and cardiothoracic center and all those guys they're awesome before we talk a little bit more about the fomo i just want to go
0: back to the surgery itself mate can you walk me through the events leading up to it perhaps any anxieties you had going under the knife and then how you felt after it was a success was that a big moment for you and did you feel a sense of freedom knowing your health was
1: finally in a stable place and you could get on with your life the surgery is kind of mad to be fair because um so thankfully uh, i didn't have to have you know like open chest or anything that was keyhole surgery so um they <laughs> so you have to have basically like a camera that goes up through the artery that's just uh the top of your legs and then on the other side sort of like I don't even know how to describe it. It's sort of this thing that puts like an electric pulse kind of in there. They're trying to sort of fish around to find this node so that they can basically burn it. They're trying to just basically raise your heart rate to an extremely high rate and they're just going to burn it and remove it completely out of your system, essentially. I didn't feel too much nerves because, you know, I had a surgeon that had been very, very clear with me about it and had been very, very... He kept me very calm and I had a great nurse that was very, very calm with me about it and everyone had been really, really nice about it. And then um, you're not actually under when you're in these kinds of surgery, It's heart surgery. So, like, I mean, if they put you to sleep, you're basically just dead. You know, that's just <laughs> sort of what happens. So you're awake the entire time. And I was listening to um, Lonerism by Tame Impala. So I was high as fuck. Uh, <laughs> and Led Zeppelin 2, from memory as well. Led Zeppelin a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin 2. is was mad. And so, like, I remember overhearing the surgeon saying it's a bit closer than we thought. And uh, it turns out that basically the node that was next to my heart, the one that needs to be removed, was about three millimeters away from that one. And so essentially, if they were to miss even slightly and hit the other one, the main node, they'd kill me instantly. And so, you know, you're going through something like that and you're thinking, oh, shit, (laughs) kind of thing. You know, (laughs) I can't really describe to you the feeling that I had at the time because I was kind of, pretty high because you're under um anesthetic and things like that you're feeling kind of weird at the time and um i just tried to stay as relaxed as relaxed as possible but you know it's the anxiety did kick in when you when i heard the concern from them and things like that and you know i started thinking so, oh, this isn't good this isn't going to be fun kind of thing so in order to actually remove it like i say they have to basically raise your heart rate to an extremely high rate can't remember the exact figure but it's it was a cra- it's crazy crazy rate you know coming close to 180 200 kind of bpm kind of thing i think from memory i'm not entirely sure but i think something like that's crazy so it's really really clear so you know exactly where it is kind of thing they tried it the first time and i remember feeling like i remember like involuntarily my chest doing this because it feels like your heart's literally beating out of your chest you feel like you know a character in like a looney tunes show or something like that where you know the heart comes bursting out and so like that happened the first time and i was like oh, i don't like that <laughs> kind of you know that hurts that's hurts a lot and like i was terrified for the proceeding like a good hour and a half or so that came after that and I was just really 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 nervous the entire time and then um, they did it again and when I actually found it and they were happy that they found it and they were going to go for it they raised my heart rate again heart feels like it's coming out of your chest then they basically they just burned it with a fucking lighter inside of my body basically and that is the most painful f- 15 seconds I think I've ever experienced in my life I've never experienced pain like it and then The moment it was done, it was fine. I didn't feel anything. I could have ran out there and gone and played football with my mates. Like, honestly, it's that quick. The anxiety that you go through when you think that you're going through something that's, you know, completely life-changing and things like that, you know, it was, there's there's a lot to unpack there in terms of your feelings. It's a very complicated feeling because you trust the people that are around you, but you're still scared. And then the moment it's done, it was just kind of like, that was it. All right, cool. I'm good. Went out to the pub with my mates the next day. It was chill. Like because you know you feel completely fine i felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder and all, all i wanted to do was just do all this stuff that i'd missed out on for this period i wanted to live my life again because you feel like your life's been taken away from you for however long it is but you know thankfully for me i was able to enjoy that again i was able to go and you know have a life and be a teenager and I went to university in the next year I, I went I did a job during that year I earned some money and stuff like that and I still made music the entire time as well I was very very lucky it's definitely changed who I am and it's definitely affected impacted me as a person and um, I'm very thankful for it as an experience. Like you said mate you were able to turn that
0: really negative period into a positive despite the fact that you were having to defer uni and you said to me off air that you felt like you had been left behind because literally you know we both grew up in London and Essex like everyone goes to uni and you all sort of start your new lives and you come back to London at Christmas and you'll kind of kick off again but you don't really talk to each other a lot when you're at uni because you're in you're in your own bubble when you finally got there you said to me you felt like you were playing catch-up was that an internalized anxiety and did it go quite quickly once you were settled at university or not?
1: Yeah, I spent like the first term, you hear all your like your mate stories about how like they did like mad stuff and they had loads of fun and things like that and they you know they got loads of these new mates that they're talking about and stuff like that. I was kind of like, "Oh, okay, so that's how it works." kind of thing. Okay, I'll go and make some friends and stuff. And um I didn't do very well at that for the first year because, you know, I tried to you know be like a fun guy who'd go out and hang out and see lots of people and stuff like that and go to clubs and things i realized very quickly that it just wasn't me and i haven't stepped foot in a club i'm 25 now i don't think i've stepped foot in a club since i was 19 not bothered by it not interested by it it's not something that i find fun or interesting i realized give me a pub give me a couple of beers with my mates and i'll have a way better night than i'll ever have going into a club or anything like that like I I realized very quickly what I am as a person and you know once I had like a couple of months of doing that I never felt like I was missing out ever again the only time that I ever felt like I was maybe missing out is when like I was studying and my mates were like going to a venue or something like that and they were going to go and they were going to go and see a good show or something or like there was a venue called Rough Trade that had uh, some great stuff on over there like you know there's the Rough Trade in Brick Lane as well Over there, uh, a guy that I used to go to uni with called Max, who now is at, I think he's at the Hootenanny in Brixton. So everyone go down there because he runs these nights called Swing Bass Nights, which is basically swing music mixed with drum and bass. Man, that's great fun. Those kinds of things, like when you see like great collective things like that and community events like that within music and stuff, you're always going to want to go to those kinds of things. But in terms of like the experience of just like going out and things like that, I realized very quickly that I could take it or leave it and I'd much rather just have a beer with my mates.
0: A really poignant thing you said to me, Sam, was that you said, it's a strange thing to go through mentally and admit to yourself that you're not as fun as you thought you were. When you take a step back and hear that quote, do you believe that? Or actually, do you just enjoy a party in your own unique way, like you said, and you don't have to be the life and soul to have fun?
1: Maybe you're right. What I do quite like to see is I quite like, if anybody's listened to drinks i say in the second verse it's not my scene but my friends are moving shaking dancing living like they'll never uh, never live this way again because you know i'm talking about this isn't what i want to do i don't want to be in you know in in this random sweaty club that's completely pitch black and there's crazy lights all over the place and some dudes playing fucking tiesto it's not my thing but like they're having fun they're having a good time and you know that's awesome because they're my best mates kind of thing and I'm I'm there just sort of to take it all in and enjoy it and like maybe I do enjoy it in a different way from others maybe I do seek pleasure out of it in a different way to others but I do still at the same time believe that maybe I wanted to this returns again to extroversion and stuff like I'm not that guy that's not what I am as a character I'm a more relaxed and just you know reserved character than maybe I when I was younger, wished I was, I think.
0: Before we wrap up this topic, you were quite keen to talk about lockdown and the pandemic and how it's changed you and some of your mates. Tell me more about that and the positives you've taken from all of this, as well as the negatives, if you want. Do you think you're a better person now as opposed to when we first went into lockdown?
1: Yeah, this has been an opportunity for a lot of people to grow and a lot of people to learn about themselves and learn about what's really important to them. When you're given choices like we have been given. Where are you are going to base yourself? What are you going to do with work? What's going to happen to you with work? And what decisions are you going to make with your future based around what has happened here? Lots of people, especially in the group of mates that I'm in, have made a lot of really powerful decisions. And they've done things that, you know, they probably wouldn't have done had we not been in this scenario and they wouldn't have made the choices that they've made. Definitely in all cases, I think, from what I've seen, they've been positive decisions because we've been in this scenario and it's brought people together i know that we're a cynical bunch and i know that we're not clapping for the nhs anymore and we're not doing these sorts of things as much anymore but like it showed that fucking hell there's a bit of unity knocking about in there it's difficult to get us lot to actually like each other and when you're actually <laughs> when you're actually like told that when you're actually in a situation where we need to come together we need to work for each other and you know you need to stay supportive and you need to support your mates you need to support the NHS you need to support your local businesses and you need to stay safe for the sake of not just you know your family but for other families around you we've done that and yes people have died but we've still we've for the most part people have done their best and they've done an amazing job and um that's a really powerful thing for me and um we're going to come out of this as people and I feel like I'm going to come out of this as a person better than I went into it for sure i hope it shows in the future in the music that I make and I hope it shows it as a person and if it doesn't tell me please given everything you've been through Sam if you could go back and talk to that 17
0: 18 15 16 year old Sam who was worrying that condition wouldn't let him live a normal life or that his surgery wouldn't go well maybe when he was high what would
1: you say to him knowing what you do now i mean i subscribe to the idea nowadays just don't worry about it it's all right so like you know it's it's difficult to say that to a 17 year old kid when they're really or an 18 year old kid when they're really self-conscious and things like that you know like it's, it's gonna be all right eventually kind of thing that's difficult to say to someone when they feel like you know it's not so you know like i've been saying i think throughout this sort of just you know treat it as a learning experience treat it as an opportunity to analyze it and what's gone wrong what can i do better how is this going to improve me? I think I'd probably say that to myself. Treat it as an opportunity to learn about yourself and treat it as an opportunity to to learn about other people. That's a key thing as well. It's not just about yourself. It's about how you are with people and stuff like that and how you understand people. That's a difficult thing that I think comes with age as well. And I'm definitely not there for sure. But like, you know, I think I'd like to say that, you know, like just take more time to understand people. Take more time to interact with people and don't be so afraid of what people think. Just be yourself and be you and eventually you'll get some mates.
0: Our final topic of conversation, Sam, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter and chat about our mental health. So firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate?
1: Good at the moment, to be fair, actually. Like I say, I, I don't have any pre-existing conditions with regards to my mental health and things like that so like I mean on a day-to-day basis I'm feeling quite content at the moment I think you could say maybe a month ago or so if you asked me that question I'd say I'm bored as hell but nowadays yeah I'm feeling good I'm feeling good and I'm feeling creative right now I'm I'm making some more music getting ready for what comes after the EP.
0: What age do you think you were when you first became self-aware of your mental health and you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually a product of your mental health
1: i think i started maybe becoming aware of you know feeling ups and downs and things like that you know like not necessarily mental health but definitely you know more of an awareness and an understanding of emotion i think you could say maybe around 15 16 you start to become a little bit more self-conscious about yourself you go through that period of worrying what people think of you and things like that and i think um I'd say probably around that age, I started feeling those kinds of things. But really, things that really impacted my mental health in terms of, you know, maybe anxieties and things like that that I had. Again, I say these weren't long term things, but probably 18 with my heart surgery. Then at 23, when I snapped my ACL, I think those two periods are big periods. So they're both physical, then impacts my mental health. And what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So it could
0: be things people say to you, it could be a sound, it could be a sensation, it could be a social environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet?
1: I'm not quite sure yet, to be honest. I definitely uh, have become a little bit more emotional when it comes to media and things like that. I've definitely become a bit more sensitised to media in the past couple of years. You know, you see a character you love die in film and things like that, you know, those sorts of things, you know, and like... Um, I've definitely become, you know, a little bit more sensitized to stuff like that or like to imagery and things. But in terms of how do I feel when certain people say things to me or when you get criticism, when you're probably not feeling your best at times. Like, I mean, I'm still working out when I feel low from those kinds of things. And I'm also trying to work out ways of dealing with those things and still feeling like, you know, it's okay to feel bad about that thing. And, you know, it's all good kind of thing. It will probably take me a little bit longer to work that out can you
0: tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health who was it with what did you say and how did you feel afterwards did it feel like a big burden or weight had been lifted or did it feel like something insignificant
1: and normalized probably my mum you know probably you know a yeah. classic kid you know felt a bit shit about something or you know struggling with exams or whatever or maybe in the future you know like um maybe at university because uh, moving away and being on your own and things like that, maybe that was kind of a thing that impacted me a little bit. So probably my mum. I'd already say, you know, I haven't got much more of an exciting answer than that. Uh, I couldn't pinpoint an exact time, to be honest, but always been about. She's always been about. She's awesome.
0: What tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health, Sam, or help you feel better? Which ones have
1: you found that have worked? And maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't? I mean, th- this is why I did music and things like that, because, you know, it was an opportunity for... That was my best, my favourite way of dealing with, you know, if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling good, what regardless, you know, which end of the spectrum I'm at. It's an opportunity for creativity kind of thing. It's an opportunity to go and make something that, that you enjoy. And, you know, if you've had a bit of a rubbish day at work or something like that, you know, <laughs> what better opportunity, especially now, is there when, you know, your commute doesn't exist. You close one laptop, your work laptop, up, and then you open your your normal laptop and you just go and make some songs and stuff like that like you can just go and you can remove not remove them but you can you can talk about those issues and things you can put them across whether it be what you're playing or the production of it or with the lyricism and with the melody and things you can do all of these things at your fingertips that's a great thing it's a great opportunity just to be able to purge yourself of that that's how i use it it's really cathartic
0: And how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves or might be just going through a poor period of mental health, whether that be men or women?
1: Always speak with them, always give them an opportunity to kind of speak openly if they want about it. This year has been difficult. A lot of people I know, you know, we've lost people. You've lost family members, but they've also certain guys in my group of mates, they've lost pets and things like that as well in recent times. You know, you can belittle it at this point in time when there's really difficult things happening in terms of people are dying and things like that due to this disease and things. But those things are difficult as well for them because they're family members at the same time and things. And, you know, for them to be able to just open up and speak about how they feel is a really good thing for them. And especially when it comes to loss and things like that, which is something that I think a lot of people have experienced this past year giving them an opportunity to think about the positive side of it and not the positive side of it but you know the positive sides of that character that they have lost think about the good memories that you've got of them that's great i always feel like there's always an opportunity to think about things in a positive way i guess if you can get your mate to speak about that if they're feeling a little bit down and things like that then um i think you've done an okay job and you've been a mate to him kind of thing Toxic masculinity is
0: a big topic on this podcast, Sam, and it's when we try and break down a lot. Hopefully, in a few more years, maybe a few more pods, it'll be in a very small minority. What would you define it as, and what examples of it have you experienced in your life that you can share with the listeners?
1: Definitely experienced it in sport and things like that, playing football and things like that as a kid. You know what? Even weirdly got it from playing music and things like that. The idea of opening yourself up and the idea of being a vulnerable person, people didn't scoff at, at first but you know people didn't think it was that cool when you when you're a kid and stuff people thought you know oh, why aren't you just playing football you're massive gay that's how people acted at times you know it was rare it was definitely rare and credit to people for it only being rare but like it definitely happens it's still definitely a thing that we're not dealing with yet we're not dealing with as communities and as a society we're managing to focus on a lot of important issues nowadays and we've been able to really really hone in on them in the past year we need to give more time to to this issue because like I mean it's something that is going to wind up <laughs> causing a lot of problems for a lot of people mentally in the future and it already has done and it's gonna it's got to be worked on I also talk a lot about positive masculinity on this pod Sam and
0: hopefully again in a few more years masculinity will just be positive masculinity because I don't think that masculinity in itself is a bad thing how would you define positive masculinity and what qualities should a man exude to be described as positively masculine is it for example self-confidence empathy supporting others emotional resilience what can you tell me here
1: i think that the knowledge that strength isn't just a physical thing i think that's something that the group of mates that i'm friends with as men we have grown to realize that we've grown to realize that just because you can push some weight and stuff and you can get in the gym and you can do some stuff or you know you're strong you're fast or whatever that's not it that's not all it is you have to like you say be empathetic to people you have to be thoughtful of people and considerate of people and doing that isn't a feminine trait that's not a feminine trait whatsoever this is still a thing that you can be as a man if you look back on various media from throughout the past you know 20 years I I mean especially something like Fight Club that whole film is basically just completely deconstructing what is a man looking at these kinds of things that's a very good example of what is actually the positive form of masculinity i think that that film in itself everything that happens within that story and then you actually see ed norton's character what he actually becomes later he's actually realized everything that is kind of wrong with masculinity and everything that is kind of wrong with just the idea of just being kind of almost a, a feral being that just wants to basically break things. Like, just being destructive isn't manly, essentially. Caring about things and realizing the impact of your actions is genuinely a very, very important thing. And I think that's something that, you know, our knowledge of our own mental strength is definitely important in becoming a big geezer. And just
0: finally, Sam, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about the mental health issues? or their mental health, if they want to do it.
1: I think we're moving in the right direction with, you know, like, um, first things first, as men, we all hold up icons and things like that. And we all find a lot of power in the people that, you know, we hold up. You know, when you look at the people who in recent years, in music and sport and things like that, who are speaking very openly about their mental health and things, that's very, very important. And as time goes on, we have to be more understanding of separate cultures and things like that. That we're not brought up in and as time goes on we need to become more understanding of them and um, eventually hopefully it will come to a point where you know just guys can actually just completely open themselves up about it I don't think we're as far away from that as people think personally I think now that we're seeing you know there's been recent conversations with ex-footballers with ex-fighters and things like speaking about their mental health and the impact that it's had. Mike Tyson's even speaking about it quite heavy lebron james has spoken about it in recent times and you know obviously kanye west has spoken about it a lot i think he's still got some work to do perhaps because you know perhaps he might have some work to do i think he's got some work to do with guys like this you know these guys that have reached the pinnacle and reached the very very top of what you can do in their discipline for them to say you know like i've struggled i've found difficulties here that can only be a good example to other young people to show that you know it's okay to bear all and it's okay to open up to people about how you're feeling and then not every day's great just because I'm rich, just because I'm successful, that's not like the be all and end all. I'm I'm still a person and I'm still vulnerable. That's key.
0: Well listeners, we have come to the end of this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Droz or Sam for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go behind the mic with him. Droz's track Drinks will play us out, and I'll put all of his streaming and social media links in the show notes as always. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Remember... If you've liked what you've heard, give it to all the friends and work colleagues you know, share it on social media or please, if you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or if you want to support us further, please go to our Patreon and check out www.patreon.com slash vent help We'd really, really appreciate it. Genuinely, every penny does count. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic and remember, it's always okay to vent like I can
2: walk on air. I fell downstairs, that I don't care because no one's here. I'm sipping on this cup I left on the side last night. I trust my brand new knacks and the sand dudes felt that's fine. Yeah. Get to know me. Let's have a good time. No, it's good. It's a shame to go now.